You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the Skate Podcast. Talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 212 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott, Patrice Bergeron spoke with the media today in his retirement press conference. Anything of note you guys wanted to start off with? You know, I don't I don't think there was anything like super, super groundbreaking, but it was interesting to hear him talk about how he kind of knew as early as last summer that this past season was most likely going to be his last. He wasn't making any final decisions. He wasn't declaring that it was his last year, but he said he kind of went through the season with just sort of like internally, just within himself, the understanding that, that this was probably it, that this was probably, you know, his last season. Um, He didn't make any decisions right after the season. He made sure he let it sink in and, you know, give it enough time as he said, and, and any player in this situation, will tell you, you you can't or you shouldn't make decisions like this right after the end of the year, win or lose. Like, it's just, it's too emotional. You're too banged up. Like, you're just not going to be able to fully think it through. So he gave it time and he said, it. you know, he was waiting. He was basically waiting for, like, that motivation or that urge to to get back in the ice and start training again to hit. And he said it just never really came. And that sort of, you know, really solidified in his mind that it was time and that he was ready to retire. He cited, you know, the toll that it took on his body. And, and he said a family, obviously. And we know he just had his fourth child this summer. Um, you know, so he said, like, you know, it was he, he knew he wanted to spend more time with family. And obviously that's, you know, he's been I think he's been able to balance that well over the years. but when you're playing on, you know, NHL hockey, like you're just, you're going to be away a lot during the season. So it's hard to do. And he just felt like the, the combination of all of it meant that meant that it was time. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously I think he went on in English for about a half an hour and then he took more questions in French. And then he also did like a solo interview with Nesson. 
um, with Brick to talk about. And I think Brick got a lot out of him too. So if anybody missed that part, um, you know, he did a one-on-one -on -one with Brick. Um, and basically in different ways, like he, he was kind of general in talking about like that it wasn't one specific thing, wasn't one specific day. It was just over time. Um, and it wasn't like, say one specific injury it was just like soreness and waking up in the morning and just feeling not a hundred percent when you wake up and you're and you're sore and you're um and when he said he, it took him longer to prepare to be on the ice and he's like i wasn't just going in and putting my skates on and getting out there like it, it took more and more prep as he aged um to be ready to play and so i guess when you look at it that way and him like we mentioned in his written statement that the Bruins put up that he wanted to go out on top. What, what he really meant was um, like in his own power, not be feeling like he's hurting the team. Like when he still um, kind of was able to give it his best. And then after that, um, you know, it, it's tough because some players want to just keep going until the wheels fall off, but that's not what he wanted to do because um, you know, he doesn't want to feel, pain all the time and doesn't didn't want to keep pushing I was actually really surprised when he was asked um you know was there any moments that you like really had second thoughts about retiring or anything like that it didn't seem like he did I feel like he is even throughout the summer I, I would have thought that maybe the decision he would have been a little bit more um apt to want to come back but it sounded like he never really seriously considered it um like he just kept it open like a never say never kind of thing but it was it wasn't something he seriously considered it didn't sound like the vibe I got watching him was he seemed like somebody who just was very very at peace with with his decision and and seems very comfortable with it and and he was able to walk away and or skate away if you will uh while still being at the top of his game i mean you could argue i mean you can argue the top of what the top of his game means but he still went if, if he wasn't at the top of his game this past year he's still winning selkie trophies and being a first line center on a on a on a record setting team so uh so yeah so he he gets he gets to go out on his own terms obviously he would have liked to have not had his final game be a, a first round exit uh, the way with the expectations that that team had last year, for sure. But besides that, he's going out the way he wants to go out. And for a player who, as we discussed yesterday, had some scary concussion injuries early on in his career, in the first third of his career, you, you definitely, you, you walk away knowing that you have your, your mental health intact and, and your body is, is in, I mean, he's gone through a lot. I mean, he it's well documented the injuries he sustained on long playoff runs and what he endured, and to um, to, to be able to walk away when he feels healthy and, and in a good place for him mentally and physically is 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 awesome for him. And yeah, when you have when you have young children, obviously people will sit there and say, "Oh, you have to you have to be on the road so much." Well, that, that's life of a pro athlete. Like, here's the world's smallest violin. But, but that's, you know, that's a pretty inhumane way to look at things. Like you have young kids, doesn't matter what your job is. Like you're, so you, you say you want to, you want a road trip for, you know, two or three games. Like you're on the road for a week. 
I don't know about you guys, but to go that that long without seeing your loved ones for, um, obviously earlier in his career he didn't have those he didn't have his children. But my point is, his reasons for for retiring are valid, and now he's going to be sorely missed. He still can play. The team can need him uh, next year, but he just struck me as somebody who was very at ease and comfortable with his decision, and and I'm happy for him in that aspect. And now going forward, let's see if it. it there's a lot of exciting things to watch ahead with this team. Uh, first and foremost, it's time for the kids to really grow up now, right? Pasternak, McAvoy, Carlo, Grizzlick, others. Like, it's time. It's now. It's time. You, you, the the teacher is gone, and now the students need to need to teach and lead. So, a lot to look forward to. But that was my takeaway from the press conference. He just seems very very comfortable with his decision to to walk away at this point. And just to quickly speak to the thing about family, like going on the road. Um, just because we see it in broadcasting too, I was talking to Will Fleming, who is one of our baseball, um, broadcasters, uh, for the Red Sox. And he told me that he has a young son. Um, well, he has two young sons, Bailey and Charlie, Charlie's, um, you know, when Charlie, he's the younger one, um, when Will goes away, sometimes Will comes back and he's like, Charlie doesn't even recognize me. And that's going to be, you know, heartbreaking to, come leave and come back and and have to deal with that kind of dynamic like reintroducing yourself to your young kids like hey it's me uh again and again so i mean and felix his youngest was just born like a month ago so he's going to be in that stage again where you know dealing with a one-year-old that doesn't understand it um and like trying to figure out who daddy is like that's tough first off i apologize is if anyone hears any banging while i'm talking um I'm I'm not in my office because they were doing there's work being done outside my office. So I found another room that I thought was going to be quiet, and either there's there's also work here, or there might be something living in this cabinet behind me that's about to jump <laughs> out and attack me. It looks me, like so. you're in a closet, so it could be like a raccoon or something. <laughs> you never know. Who knows the last time this this room was used? So. Well, there's a mouse <laughs> that I used to see back years ago when I did overnights at WEI, there was a mouse that I used to see and I named him Dimitri and he would just come around and he would just hang out. I thought you named him Adam Jones. No, <laughs> I didn't know him any, at that time. No, Dimitri. Uh, that's my guy, Dimitri. Yeah. It, Bridget, you mentioned the, the travel stuff and that Bergeron was asked like if there's parts of the game that he's not going to miss. And at first he said, not really. And then Kevin Paul DuPont asked him about like, well, what about like the training and diet and all that stuff? And he's like, well, yeah, he's like, you know, I want to stay in shape and keep relatively on top of that. But yes, like it'll be a relief to not have to be so strict on those things. But then Cam Neely was, we talked to Cam Neely after and he was asked about that. And, and he brought up track, like travel was the first thing he brought up. He was like, he might not have said it, but like, he's going to notice very quickly in the fall. They're like, oh, this is nice. I don't have to keep getting on a plane every four days. Like that, because yes, you're, you know, you're flying first class, private. Like I get it there. You know, it's not what it is when, when we fly sitting, you know, and then whatever, like, you know, you get people on either side of you and all that. Like they're, they're doing, they're doing okay to Brian's point. Like no one has to, has to cry for what professional athletes have to go through, but it is also a lot of travel and like it does. I, I absolutely can see like how it wears you down regardless of whether you're flying in luxury or not, just constantly 
being on the road, getting back late or early morning or whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, like that's, that's nice. Uh, you also mentioned like, you just kind of, you sounded at peace and like somebody just, he said like, you know, I've always trusted my intuition and instincts. And I was thinking, I was like, I feel like that applies both on and off the ice. Like, obviously he has great instincts on the ice. You can study the game and work as hard as you can, which obviously he did. But also he just has like instincts at a level that are so much higher than every other player. Like Neely talked about this as well, how, you know, he would watch them and it's like 99% of the time he's in the right place. It's like, you can go games at a time without seeing him out of position or being like, Oh, usually I expect Bergeron to be in that spot. And it's like, Nope, he's just always there. He's always where he's supposed to be. And so much of that is like just the way he, he reads the game and just reacts. And it sounds like that applies to him off the ice too. Like he just, he just knew, like he just knew from his body, from what it was telling him that, that this was time. So, you know, I guess if, if you have instincts that good, you, you might as well trust him. So there was a few things though I wish would have been asked um, that I feel like, I mean, obviously they weren't going to let him go on for an hour and answer questions for an hour. Um, but I mean, I guess he probably answered questions for a while in French after, but um, they didn't ask him anything about David Krejci, um, who still hasn't announced his decision um, about maybe conversations he had with him along the way about what, what he was thinking, what, what he was planning. Did they both last off season sign one year deals thinking uh, this was going to be their last year? Did, did they let the team kind of know? It kind of seems like the team did have a good idea. Um, but it, it, I feel like there were some opportunities missed to ask certain questions about Krejciar or um, like that part of the process. Uh, and I also thought that nobody directly asked him about the injury that he had at the end of the season. And, and was he more optimistic about maybe coming back before that, or did that not factor in um, like missing playoff games? Did but I felt like that specific back injury wasn't really brought up and asked about. Um, so I, I don't know that that was something that I was really hoping someone had the chance to well, to ask yeah i mean i i'll say like i considered asking about both but my read on it is one he's not he would he won't with Krejci not yet having announced his decision bergeron's not gonna divulge any real details of their conversations or you know like he's not gonna say like yeah we both kind of agreed like this is probably our last year like he's not gonna say that before Krejci announces what he's doing no. um no, but it, I mean, it did feel worth asking about, like, you'd have to find a way to word it. That was like talking about like, you know, their decision-making happening at the same time, like both of them being in the same position and, and, you know, it, there was a way to ask it that I think could have been done. Yeah. The, so the question I was going to ask, like, so I ended up not asking anything. I wasn't, didn't really feel the need to obviously got asked a ton. Um, but had I asked something, I would have, it would have been along those lines, but I was going to ask just about like conversations he had with Martian and Krejci in particular, since yeah. those are the two guys he's been with the longest. Um, 
Oh, and so the injury. I, I mean, I got the impression based on his other answers that like this decision was more or less made before that happened. Anyways, he talked about, you know, he said like he pretty much went through the season kind of understanding that it was going to be his last year, not yeah. finalizing that decision, but my question would have been, operating under that assumption. Yeah. But my, my question would have been, did, did that, like, were you a little bit more optimistic before that happened? Like, did that kind of kill the optimism of thinking, you know, maybe you'd go back at it. It, it, it seemed like it was, you know, something that I at least still have questions about is missing those games and feeling like maybe he was like somehow his health was hurting the team's chances to win um, that kind of thing. Uh, I feel like there was more to know in that situation. And if I had been there, which I couldn't go, I have to do Red Sox today. Um, I would have asked about the next level of leadership from the guys coming up because the team's losing their captain. Um, Adam Pellerin asked about Charlie McAvoy, something he said in the the video that the team made um, to thank Bergeron. But I would have asked generally about what Bergeron thinks of the next level, the next group of leaders that could come come through. No one even touched on the whole captaincy thing, having to replace a captain. Uh, that I also would have liked to know the answer to. Just his thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he did kind of touch on the McAvoy answer, saying that, um, you know, like McAvoy and others, like he really trusts them uh, a lot and thinks they're in a good spot. So, um, you know, like he's not, he's not going to say anything else, right? Like he's, he's going to talk about his teammates. And I think to an extent, he definitely believes that as well, whether it is Marchand or McAvoy, Pasternak, you know, Lucic coming back, just, the, the whole core Carlo coil, um, you know, I, I think he does have a lot of faith in those guys. And on the captain, Neely, Neely was asked about next captain. And he said, they, they haven't really discussed it yet. He said, you know, basically it'll be something that they'll discuss at, at an organizational level, him, Sweeney, Montgomery, and then players will also have a say. So, you know, I think that process hasn't started yet. And I imagine it, I feel like when it officially went to Ber- like obviously we all knew it was going to Bergeron after Chara left, but I think that video of them doing it where they you know first joked around about giving it to Marshan, I'm pretty sure that was during training camp. So I would expect you know them to really make that decision then. Yeah, that makes sense. I just wanted to hear what he what he would have said, especially I feel like there was more to be talked about with Marshawn in particular and their relationship. Um, Marshawn, they did have Marshawn on Nesson, um, something that they recorded yesterday that they that they aired about Marshawn talking about um, his relationship with Patrice, but it didn't feel like they necessarily got to some of that. I don't know. I don't know when the next time we're going to be able to talk to him is either, like, or if ever. So it just kind of feels like, oh, I wish I kind of, I'm still missing some of these things I wish I had heard from him yeah i mean to that point bridget as far as questions that you wish you may have heard or you wish you could have asked if given the opportunity i mean it anytime you sit down with somebody who's played as long as he did i mean he played for almost just about 20 years in the national hockey league and and 
it's it's really wild to think like when you actually step back and think about how long he played when you see when you see the Bruins post pictures or just just go on Google and just type in Patrice Bergeron 2003 four five like go back and like look at those images of him and look at the equipment that he's wearing like 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 the it's it's the old Reebok jerseys the baggy jerseys the old cotton socks the old you know whatever graphs probably with a big skate back in the day like and he has it and he and he has a completely different accent like he's like yeah. he's but, his english is not there yet and and the videos are in standard definition not hd yeah. and they're not even the same size as a screen is now <laughs> i mean the, the big the big the the big christmas wish hockey stick back in the day back in those days was like the original gold synergy or maybe the silver one and 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 it just it just it's such a reminder of just how long ago he broke into the league and and you for for a guy like Bergeron to get away from the media and get away from it all when he reflects on his career this summer and just going forward think about all the memories he has and all the teammates that he's had over 20 years like his original teammates were guys like Nick Boynton, Brian Ralston, Michael Nylander, Marty Lapointe, Andrew Raycroft, Joe Thornton, Sergey Samsonov. I mean, like Sergey Gonchar, like so many. And then you fast forward to this past year and he's playing with guys like Trent Frederick and Jacob Lovko. And like, it's just like Jeremy Swayman, Jeremy Swayman, like so many just, and then everybody in between, including all the championship teams and runs. And it's just, I, I feel like, it would be cool if somebody had asked him and maybe this is more appropriate for like a, if he ever appears on a podcast or something, right. Oh, we'll get him right here. Where he he has to, yeah, the skate pod, of course, obviously. We'll get Ray Kroc to get him and we'll just do a whole panel. But I, but I think it would be cool if somebody were to ask, because a lot of people focus on like 2007 and the the concussion in his press conference, which is fair, but it'd be cool to get his vantage point on like Patrice, like, like just, Talk about how like, the the game has changed since you debuted to now, or talk about some some of your favorite teammates over the years, just like little things like that. Some of your favorite stories, stuff like that. Um, I, I again, I get it. It's like a it's a tight press conference and it's a tight ship that the Bruins are running. So maybe it's more appropriate for a later date. But those are some questions. Like you talk about, like hearing about one of the greatest, like hear one of the greatest like hockey IQs I've ever seen play talk and compare about what playing in the NHL is like in 2003 versus 2023. And just like, I mean, cause Bergeron's development was in the late nineties and the early two thousands. And that was such a different game back then. And uh, anyway, so when somebody can span their career across decades, the way he did at an elite level, it's really cool to talk about how he adapted to the game and just how the game changed in front of his eyes. And when you're in the moment, maybe you don't notice it as much cause you're just dealing with what's in front of you, but for him to look back now, it must be pretty cool for him. Yeah, I mean, he skated in a preseason game with Fabian Lysel last year, who was nine months old when Bergeron made his NHL debut. Um, yeah, he he did talk about Marty Lapointe, so that, like, and that's that story is fairly well documented. But obviously, it was a special relationship for him, uh, especially his rookie year early in his career. Um, Lapointe, you know, a fellow Quebec native, really took him under his wing. And, you know, kind of showed him the ropes, helped him learn the city, learn about being professional, all that stuff. And Bergeron said, like, that impacted, you know, how he treated young players as as he got older and, you know, grew into a into a leadership role himself. So uh, that's, you know, certainly one 
one special relationship. Um, but yeah, it's, it, you're right. Like it's totally changed. And, and as we talked about yesterday, you know, the, his concussions and other star players dealing with concussions is part of the change. Like the game obviously has opened up and there's not, not that there aren't dirty hits anymore. There obviously are, but there's not as many. Um, and there's not as much defensemen who play that, you know, head hunting kind of style. Like, you know, Scott Stevens is a hall of famer, but like, let's be honest, he was out there trying to hurt guys. Like that was part of the intimidation factor of what he was trying to do. And, um, you know, it's not really that game anymore. And I, I would say for the better, I know there's, you know, some older school people who think that should be more part of the game or, you know, big hits should still have some place, but um, yeah, that that's just obviously one area that it's changed. It's just, it's so much more skilled. Like it's gotten so much faster, even just from that era, you know, like you, when he got here, you were, you still kind of had like the, devil's trap style was still kind of in vogue like teams were still playing that it sort of took the lockout and some of those rule changes to really start to open things up you know all the clutching and grabbing and all that like it was just it was a slower more physical um grind of a game so you know yeah a a lot of changes over 20 years i mean even recently that they've changed the sl- uh the slashing rules and like having to ad- adjust and adapt to those different things too um i don't know if you guys had a chance to watch i don't i'm guessing you didn't scott because you were there um talking to people and, and <laughs> writing i'm sure you have something up now on um wei.com but not yet but soon after we record they even had some of the patriots um speak at at um training camp or what is it OTAs right now no training camp. training camp yeah training camp um and Matthew Slater had a lot of really nice things to say about how he's an icon in Boston and it was funny because Razor goes McCordy had all these nice things to say I was like that was Matthew Slater <laughs> come on Razor let's no. that was that was Matthew <laughs> Slater but uh yeah no I mean Matthew Slater is another one of those guys who um kind of has that sim- similar personality where everything is like calm and um, well thought out. And and when he speaks, like, you know, it, it's going to be something intelligent. And he paid Berger on that compliment saying that um, like he started to know who he was because of what he did in the community and, and learn a kind of about more who he was and how he played um, just because he, he had that persona in Boston that had gotten like larger and larger. So yeah, along the lines of like questions that I would have liked to have, like if it was just you know no time limit and like we could have just sat there all day. Like I, I in these situations, like I always like to hear, you know, was there anyone you heard from that you were surprised by or was kind of unexpected? And like in my head, I was wondering, like I'm, you know, like I wonder if he heard from Tom Brady. Like that's you know when people talk about these these superstar Boston athletes who were here forever. It's like it was Bergeron with the Bruins, Brady with the Patriots, Ortiz with the Red Sox of like guys who just spanned multiple decades and and all overlapped. And, you know, I know like not that Bergeron and Brady were like super tight friends, but obviously they crossed paths a lot. They did, you know, whether it was charity events or just being around the city, 
Like I know Zdeno Chower talked about that a little bit last year during his retirement press conference about, um, you know, crossing paths with Brady over the years. And, you know, I was one like just wondering, you know, whether it's that or like someone else just, I'm sure he's gotten a million texts over the last 24 plus hours since he announced it. Um, but, you know, I wonder like if there, if there is anyone that stood out. Yeah, that, that is always interesting to hear, but I'm sure it's it's got to be everyone under the sun. <laughs> it I, has to be I'm everyone. sure he hasn't even been able to get back like to everyone yet because Bergeron's the type of guy who will, like he will respond to everyone at some point. But Let us know yeah, when I mean, he answers it, your text, Scott. And you, and if, you, if it's, yeah, I'm last. And you and you, and when you say everyone, like that's that's exactly right. Like if Glenn Metropolit or Pedro Kalinen text Bergeron, he'll respond to them. Like Peter Schaefer, like I know I'm just kind of picking up the t- 2017, but like my point is like when you think about like because you see these these videos of like players around the league and and Bruins talking about like what he's meant to them and what he's meant to the game, like if you think about Bergeron his his entire career he must have for the bruins alone let's take away international play for the bruins alone he probably had at least upwards of i don't know 175 to 200 like teammates different teammates i mean i don't and i feel like i'm lagging right now which sucks because oh, you're good. You're good. You can hear me? okay I can hear you. He's, he's probably had upwards of a couple hundred teammates so there's a lot of players that will be reaching out to him saying like congratulations and all that stuff and I mean, it's, 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 it's fascinating when you think about like, he's been here so long. He's had so many different like renditions of line mates and running mates for extended amounts of time. I mean, you think back to when he first came in, like we said earlier, it was, it was, it was um, Michael Nylander and Sergey Samsonov. And then there was the Brad boys and Marco Sturm era. Then there was, you know, Mark Recchi and Chuck Kobusu, Mark Recchi and Brad Marchand, Brad Marchand, Tyler Sagan, Brad Marchand, Yarmir Yager, Brad Marchand, Riley Smith, Louis Erickson. I mean, and eventually you get down to, to David Pashnak, who was perhaps the his best right wing of all, of obviously, and then you know even oh, down to the J- perfection J- line. Yeah, they so, don't I mean, call him the perfection line for nothing. It, it's just it's just amazing the amount of guys he's played with, the amount of running mates he's had on his line, and it just never skipped a beat. And um, so yeah, I'm sure he has some out of the box people hitting him up, but I bet you he has a lot of players. Maybe even guys that only had a couple of years in the NHL, but he, he meant a lot to them, and and was he, he they can call him his teammate, and probably a highlight of their career to call him Berger on their teammate. So, and I um, presume yeah. even people that didn't play with him, like uh, oh, of course, I, of course, I yeah. mean, there's there's got to be so many people. I'm sure he's heard from Bruce Cassidy and some of his older coaches, and and different people like that there. And I just thought of this. That's one other thing that I wish I had heard the answer to, which was, did he take like when he was considering all of the, all of this, the retiring or the saying, um, did he ever think like, Oh, it would be cool to captain the centennial team. Because I feel like it sounded like he didn't even really think about that kind of stuff, but yeah, that was, that was alluded to in one question. Like, it was, I think it was the same question he was asked about, you know, like, like obviously you still have something in the tank, like, you know, did you, I forget exactly what the question was, but like it was in that where it was like, you still have something in the tank It's a centennial season. And like, that was kind of alluded to. And, um, you know, I think his response was basically just like, it, it sort of all got taken into consideration, but ultimately like he just had to be, 
honest with himself and, and basically just let his body tell him that it was time, let his body and his, in his mind. And, you know, sound, it seemed like he was leaning that way from last summer on. And I got the impression that like it never really swung to, I think I'm going to keep going. I think it was always, he was at least leaning in that direction. And then he just gave it the time he needed for it to, to really settle in and become final. And in terms of people saying he took like a dramatic amount of time to like announce it, I like I disagree with that because you have to be sure. <laughs> like you you don't want to pull a Tom Brady and unretire. <laughs> um, so you trying that is, you know, the more dramatic thing would be like oh, I'm unretiring now. Um, so you have to be sure. Um, I think he announced it the day after his birthday. Um, so I don't know if the timing was, that was part of the timing of him announcing it, but, um, yeah, so I don't think that's a fair thing to say. I've heard some other things that have pissed me off on Boston sports radio since the announcement, like he had a good, but not great career. Like he's going to be a first ballot hall of famer. I don't really know what you're categorizing as a great career. So someone was comparing it to Paul Pierce. They were both like good but not great because they didn't win as many times as they should have or it it, it pisses me off like that kind of stuff pisses me off because it's just like being negative for for no reason like we we all know they could have won a stanley cup a few more times i mean they were in the finals more times than they won um even this year but it's it's just a stupid it's a stupid argument it's a stupid conversation you sound dumb if you go, oh, it wasn't a great career. Like, come on. Yeah, and, well, and there's like the the semi straw man argument of, like, well, he's not Sidney Crosby, and it's like, well, no shit, Sidney Crosby's one of the ten best players in history. So, like, you got him. Oh my god, he's not one of the ten best players in NHL history. Um, but it's like, but then they'll they'll find like the one person who texts or tweets in and says, I'd rather have Bergeron over Crosby, and it's like. All right, but I mean, you could do that with like you'll get that with anyone. Like you'll, I bet you could find some psycho out there who says they'd rather have Mac Jones and Tom Brady. Like, you know what I mean? It's like so, like you can't you can't just go by like the one or two outliers. I think most most fans who love Bergeron to death can acknowledge like he's not Sidney Crosby, but like that's it's not an insult. <laughs> That's just saying he's not one of the 10 best players ever. Like that, that's fine guys. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like that, that he didn't have a great career argument because of it's just, it's, it's, it's a weird argument to even start to make, but you know, in our business, people do it (laughs) just to piss other people off. (laughs) I guess being a, I guess being a top five player of all time and a, for a hundred year old team and a, and a first ballot NHL hall of famer isn't a great career, but um, it's, it's, it's okay. Uh, We'll let, we'll let the, uh, we'll let more accomplished people, I guess, uh, judge Bergeron's Bergeron's career, but. Yeah. Well, there's a reason why Scott's um, part of putting together the centennial team and uh, a few of these uh, talk radio shows aren't. Yeah. So anyway, um, you know, one, one crazy thought too is, um, I don't know why this 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 popped into my mind while while recording this this episode, but well, I do know uh, it's Bergeron's retirement, and it's like the future of the center ice position is is a little bleak right now. 
And and so it made me think, like, just thinking about the eras that he's played in and, and, and the teams he's been on. It's so strange to think that from 2007, 2008 through 2010, 2011. So for four seasons, the Bruins had the possibility of rolling out a one, two, three center iceman punch of Mark Savard, Patrice Bergeron, and David Krejci. And I know in 07-08, Krejci kind of came on maybe after the, the season opener, but regardless. So for four seasons, the Bruins had Bergeron, Mark Savard, and David Krejci on their roster. That's 328 regular season games. But unfortunately, due to injuries and mainly injuries, Bergeron lost the entire 07-08 season. Savard lost half of the 9-10 season and the majority of the 10-11 season. Um, they only got to play how many games together, would you say, as, as a 1-2-3 as a punch in one form or another? Maybe 75 to 100 of those 328 possible regular season games. It's just, it's just um, it's amazing. To, that, that's an amazing combination. And we never got to see it really, uh, not nearly enough as, as it was readily available on their roster. I mean, that's, that's insane. Yeah. And it feels like this might not be entirely accurate, but it feels like the only time in there where like they actually were all together for like a meaningful stretch was 0809 down the stretch and, and into the playoffs, which is why, you know, when you look back in that team, it's like, it, yeah, like that, that was, that was a team that could have won the cup. Like that team was pretty stacked and having those three at center is a huge reason why. And, you know, I'd have to look back on in like at ice time or whatever, but I remember like that they would always, like if someone would, you know, post a depth chart or whatever, like it would always be crazy. That was listed third. Like that was the third line, but there are times where like it almost felt like, that was the second line and Bergeron was almost the third line. Like, I think he was with Recky and Kobasu. Yeah. Kobasu. Yeah. And it almost felt like that was like the third line. And it's like, but that's just crazy depth. Like that's just absurd. Um, and you but crazy. yeah, you're right. Like we, we were definitely robbed of, and you know, who knows if they keep it all together, right? Maybe, you know, if Savard stays healthy and you have him into his mid to late thirties, I don't know. At some point, maybe try to capitalize and trade away Krejci. Like who knows there's that whole alternate universe of what actually happens, had they all stayed healthy and had you gotten, you know, a full season, two seasons, three seasons with those three together. Um, but yeah, you, you never did outside of really that, you know, again, in my mind, like just that one stretch and, you know, spring 2009. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like for the majority, I know Bergeron got a concussion in 09, uh, 08, 09 with Seidenberg, but I don't know if he's, it may have been like 15 games he missed, but for the majority of that season, like they were together and your, your lineup was, it was your depth chart was Savard, Lucic, Kessel, and then Bergeron, Kobusu, Recky, and then Krejci, Wheeler, Ryder. And then the fourth line was like Axelson, Stefan Yell, and maybe Sean Thornton. But yeah, it's like, it's, so it's just unfortunate because in 07 08, Bergeron literally went down for the season in the first two weeks. And at the, now at the time, we didn't know anything about David Krejci. I'm, but in retrospect, looking back at it, that you know what I mean? Um, so you lost Bergeron that year. 08 09, for the most part, they were together. 09 10, Savard gets hit by Cook. And then he comes. 
Uh, yeah, and then so he's kind of down for the count, and he comes back for the Flyers series, and then goes back down, and then Krejci goes down, um, and then ten eleven Savard got hit by Matt Hunwick, and he was down. So now obviously that season ended up pretty good for the Bruins. Um, just an embarrassment of riches. That just yeah, you never got to see it fully fully through, not nearly enough. I mean, but uh, it's just ironic because I just think back to the eras, and it's like holy. I mean, the Bruins from oh seven oh eight till you know thirteen fourteen, man, they had some. They they got a cup, and but they were they were a cup contender. I think honestly for like six straight years. I have to, that was that was that was some impressive talent that that those teams had. Yeah, I was just looking back at that the oh eight oh nine. Savard and Krejci played every game. Savard had eighty eight points. Krejci seventy three, um, and then Bergeron missed eighteen, so he played sixty four. And his uh, like now that you think back, it like it did take him a while to get back up to speed after missing so much time and he ended up with just 39 points in 64 games eight goals so like yeah clearly wasn't back to to full strength you know remember he already had a couple 70 point seasons on his resume at that point um but yeah still like even if that is you you know your quote-unquote number three center like bergeron getting back up to speed is (laughs) that's still you know such an incredible luxury well, yeah. I to to uh, connect that to the one last thing I think we want to talk about. Uh, that's not what your top three centers look like anymore. You don't. That it's no. not. Uh, it's it's far from that. So um, we did get a little bit of information about because we we spoke yesterday. We were recording back to back days here, but um, about how you know the potential of maybe trading for a number one center that. It, doesn't seem like that's what's going to happen. Don Sweeney was asked about it um, on Nesson, and he actually gave some really decent answers um, that were you could read into a little bit. Um, there were there were more informational. He he gave more information than I thought he would, um, though it, it is like political in a way. Like he he says things carefully. He knows what he's doing, but he was willing to say a few things. Uh, kind of insinuating that uh, this is the group they have. And um, Zaka was part of the plan from last season when they brought him in. They actually weren't sure, 100% sure Bergeron uh, was coming back even for for this past season. So they had already been thinking about bringing in Zaka and, and how he's kind of the main piece to this plan to succeed. Bergeron and it, it made me think um while I don't think we're seeing any big trades um it d- didn't seem like that was part of it but it, it was more like all right this is the roster we have and we're gonna you know we're we think we put the right pieces together obviously that's something they would say but um yeah it it, it seemed like there's no massive move coming around the corner to try to replace 1c yeah, and Neely was was asked about it too, and you know, similar to Sweeney, like basically said like we're exploring everything. You know, he was asked, you know, will you look outside the organization? He was like, you know, we're we're gonna have to look at everything, and and he was talking more big picture versus like immediate future right now. Um, but yeah, like uh, obviously they they've tried to getting Zaka was was a big one. They've drafted more centers in in recent years, thrown more darts, but 
you know, Neely kind of even made reference to it. Like it's hard to really assure yourself of an impact draft pick when you're contending every year and you're trading away so many high draft picks, which I know people don't like to hear as an excuse. Cause it's like, Hey, they've still had a couple first round picks. They've still had some second round picks, but not as many as some other teams and they haven't been high. So it's a factor. It doesn't totally excuse them not having a better succession plan, but it is a factor. And you know, it's my read on it is they are probably sticking as is for right now, just because I don't think the market is out there for them to go find a top two center right now. Um, you know, and I think you, you reevaluate it in season, reevaluate it pre-trade deadline, or even next summer when you're going to have more cap space, you know, more flexibility to do something. Um, I know, you know, one of the biggest names just got locked up today who could have been on the market next summer, Sebastian Ajo down in Carolina, re-signed on an eight-year deal, which I don't think he was ever really going to get to the open market. I can't imagine the Hurricanes were ever going to let that happen. But, you know, if if you were trying to project ahead, like he's someone who at least would have been on the initial list until until he was signed, but now he has been signed. Yeah, and in, I, we had gotten one comment on our last video from yesterday about DeBrusque. Like, would they be willing to part ways with DeBrusque or maybe some sort of a package that included DeBrusque to try to fill their need at center? Yeah, it, it's possible. I, I, I don't, I don't know if they're trying to give away top six talent right now. Um, I know I you're trying to acquire top six talent, but I just don't, I don't know think if like so either. But it actually kind of made me think about how much DeBrus value has changed over the course of two seasons, and that like we thought he was going to get traded at the trade deadline. Was it was it two years ago. Um, he, he comes back, starts playing better. All of a sudden, he's a top line guy, a consistent goal scorer, um, playmaker. And now you're like, okay, well, we can't afford to lose him. But back then, it was like people were like, get rid of him. But um, yeah. totally has come around <laughs> from that point. And that's why that's what made me think because, like, you could get a lot back more back for him now than you could have just thinking back to those times where right around the time that he asked for a trade. Yeah. I mean, I guess if, I, I guess, I guess if you we were part of a package and it was like DeBrusque and like Olmark or something, I mean, I just don't, I'm not really good at playing like video game GM. Um, it just, it's just one of those things where it just doesn't seem like it's out there. And I, I agree with Scott. I think they're going to, they're, they're just going to run it back. I think, I think one thing that you can maybe, hope for is that maybe maybe there maybe there's a a hidden top two center in morgan geeky we just i mean I, I know if you look at his nhl track record he's been a bottom six forward in seattle and i feel and, like that's like trying to make eric holla a top two well center. the thing is though yeah but so connor ryan wrote wrote something for uh for the was it the globe he works for the globe now yeah he works for the globe yeah, now. Globe, Boston. It was, it was something along the lines of how Morgan Geeky was like a top like 30 score in the NHL this year with went, like points per game, like based on his minutes played or something along those lines. Like it was, yeah, it's, it's five, five on five 
per 60 minutes. Yeah. And, and, and he has impressive numbers. And, and basically the, the moral of the story was like with an accelerated role, an amplified role in Boston, could he be something? And, and maybe you can put Charlie Coyle in a, in a more natural three C spot. I'm not, I don't know. They're going to have to try to make, th- make things work as is, is my point. I don't, they're going to have to hope for the best. I don't, I just don't think the one C options out there right now. And, um, but it'll be interesting. Look, if you're looking for things to follow this year, it'll be interesting to try to watch this team come together and, 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 and try to mature into more leadership roles and, and, and see if they can put together a good season. I mean, hockey's hockey's a team sport and anything can happen and they can certainly put together a good season. And I think it'll be fun to fun to watch. And, but I do think they're going to try to go with committee right now, standing by committee and, and hope for the best. Yeah. And, and as far as trading to brusque, like, I guess I would be more open to it if it's for a bona fide top two center. Like obviously we were all in agreement. We weren't, we didn't think it made any sense when the John Gabriel Peugeot rumor popped up because it's like Peugeot is, is more or less Charlie Coyle, a really good number three center, but you're, you're stretching it a little if you put him on the second line. Um, the problem is, is, you know, if you trade away DeBrusque, now you're down another top six wing. And I already think you're in a position where, Ideally, you would be looking to add another top six wing, not subtract one. Um, you know, if you could guarantee me that maybe not not for opening night, but at some point in the first half of the season, Fabian Lysel is ready to play in a second line. Okay, maybe I start to consider it, but I don't think you can't guarantee that right now. Like, we just haven't seen enough. So maybe, you know, we, we talked on the last episode about all right, what do they do if they're not really contender this year or they're just sort of fringe or sort of out of the playoff picture? Well, DeBrusque, you know, if you're not signing DeBrusque to an extension by that point, he's in the final year of his contract, so, like, he would be a very very valuable piece and maybe use that not to just try to add, you know, a pick or a prospect, but in some sort of package to to target a center in season. Like, it... It, it's all on the table just because there's so many ways this season could go. Um, but yeah, I mean, right now it, it feels like you would just, if you're trying to trade to Bruss for a center, like, okay, you're helping at the center position, but now you're down, you know, another wing and you, you need help there as well. So. Well, um, and who, and who would want to part with a top two center for a top right. six? It's just not a fair yeah. trade off. So that, that's why maybe you'd have to like give all Mark too, but then you have to deal with like, can somebody fit both those guys under a cap and blah, blah, blah. So it just gets tricky. But in any event, Bridget, I know you have to, you have to round the bases pretty soon here. So I do. I, do, do you guys have any final comments before we sign off? No. no I'm all good. All right, Scott, figure out what's in that cabinet behind you and don't try not to get attacked. I'm Bridget. absolutely not opening that. Tell Dimitri <laughs> I say hi. Uh, Bridget, enjoy, enjoy your Red Sox shift. Thank you all for listening and we will talk to you very soon.